Welcome back to another episode of Small Business Dads. My name's Daniel Mundo. Thanks for tuning in and checking us out for another week. Got a cool little chat today. Anthony Igra is the man's name, and he solves a pretty big problem. He runs Contractors Debt Recovery, and if you're a contractor and has had trouble getting paid for doing a job that you've done and rightfully deserve to get paid, he's the man to speak to to help you get what you deserve. So Anthony's going to share some cool stories uh, not only on how he got started, but how he went from having $600 in the bank and wondering how he was going to put food on the table for his wife and his young son to being able to take business to where it is today, but more importantly, helping people get what they're rightfully owed instead of being screwed over by the big man who doesn't want to pay their bills. So without further ado, straight to Anthony. He's got some awesome stories to share and He'll also mention how he can help you out if you are in that position as well. So please do something before it gets too late for you and for your business. Straight to Anthony now. All right, with me now, I've got Anthony Igra from Contractors Debt Recovery. How are you, Anthony? I'm very well, Daniel. Yourself? Good, thank you. Thanks for giving us some of your time today. And uh, it's always love to hear and have a chat with another dad. But before we find out about what you do, I'd love to get a bit of your background first. Tell us a bit about you, about your family and about your backstory and give us a bit of a rundown on that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm a 50, uh, 51 year old middle-class white male, which makes me an endangered species, I suppose. <laughs> None of us um, are getting any younger. Yeah, that's right. Uh, married, married for 16 years. I've got um, two boys, uh, one uh, 10 and one 13. Um, and, um, I suppose I married a bit late. I married at the age of 30, uh, 30 35 or 36, do the math. And um, uh, I actually wasn't in the current business I, I am now. That only started just after we got married. So um, I bounced around a bit. I was really in mostly sales roles for 10 years. What else do you do with a, with an arts degree? And... Um, <laughs> And uh, after which, though, around 2000, I actually went and did a, um, uh, a master's in business, which is about uh, two-thirds of an MBA or three-quarters of an MBA. So I ended up with a master's of business, which I enjoyed. And um, that was around the time of the tech wreck. So in 2000, uh, I was working for a phone company um, as an operations manager, uh, moving out of the sales role more into organization. And uh, that all collapsed in the tech wreck. And I was, um, at the same time, my father passed away. And I had to sort out his estate. And uh, it was kind of fortunate in a way. I didn't have, have to go anywhere. I didn't have to go to a job. So I had time to sort that out. And um, just really didn't do much for a while. Had a bit of a rest. Uh, I started, uh, dating my, uh, started dating my wife. Uh, and her father was uh, the uh, commercial manager for the um, Electrical Contractors Association. And he um, suggested that I help one of their members, an electrical construction company, just in organizing their operations and getting them all sorted out, which I did. And six months turned into uh, about 18 months with them, uh, during which I saw how much money they weren't being paid. <clears throat> to which my father-in-law also said, you should have a look at the um, Security of Payment Act. You should uh, try and understand it. This People get paid that way. So I had a read of it and uh, I decided that there wasn't much difference between what you had to do under that act to run a payment claim 
between that and what I used to do in my studies in university, which is read a whole pile of stuff and then write your own submission with arguments and evidence. It's pretty much the same skill set. That sound like a uni assignment, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I'm, I've got uni assignments every day. <laughs> so, um, so I had a go and I started with the company I was working for and, and, and won them some money. And I looked at that a bit closer and I, I realised a number of things. Number one, there was a massive need for it because no one gets paid in construction. Number two, the, the industry itself doesn't even understand how this process works. Number three, they don't want to understand how it works. And number four, uh, lawyers hate it. Yeah, I bet. I hate it. No litigation goes by too quickly. So here was, a, here was a group of people who had an urgent need and no one looking after them. And the act had only started in New South Wales a few years before. It had only started in 2000 without much fanfare. So by about the, we're now talking 2006, not really much use. Uh, just getting going. So I jumped in then and I set up Contractors Debt Recovery in 2006, uh, thinking here I was the answer to everyone's problem. And uh, I just got crickets. <laughs> just, and, and every marketing attempt uh, made uh, on, uh, you know, the construction SME market was met with scorn and derision. I can imagine. So oh, I hated it. So what you're saying, like, if you go back... So before 2000 and when all that act came in, if you're a small business, you know, like we all are, and obviously everyone's got an experience at some point or, at some point or another about not mm. getting paid or someone you know, running away and uh, mm. doing a run or whatever. So you're saying there was basically no one to hold them account to. There was no the mechanism. There was no, me though there was, but all there was was court, right? Which is open to cost and abuse, abuse of cost and abuse of time. So all you had to do was withhold enough money from the contractor that would they'd really have no cash flow. They'd be totally precarious. And all the contractor could do would be to sue you. Well, now that can take a very long time. They drag it out, drag yeah, it out, and eventually... Lawyer and it's not worth uh, your while. No, well, eventually they go into liquidation because they can't keep functioning. Now, if they go into liquidation, you don't have to pay anyone. So there's just billions and billions of dollars of free work. Wow. Now... This process, which is called the Security of Payment Act, doesn't allow any of that delay. You can go from a claim to a decision in six weeks. That's a bit of a difference. And the decision, not if it's not paid on, can be registered in court as a judgment. So instead of going to court for three years to get a judgment, you can run a payment claim and get the same thing in a fraction of the cost, a fraction wow. of the time. But yeah, beforehand, there was just endless liquidations, uh, endless bankruptcies and endless suicides. Wow. Well, yeah, there's, so at the end of the day, it's like everyone's been left short, like I said, at some point or another, and yeah, obviously to varying degrees. And if it's large bills, that's, you know, that's food on your table. It's paying you money. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, millions of dollars. No, everyone has to rely on that money coming down the contractual chain. Uh, construction businesses, especially smaller ones, just don't have working capital. They don't have cash that they can sit on for any long period of time uncommitted so they have to get those payments in further up the contractual chain yeah so you mentioned also too that there was crickets at the start when it all kicked off what was basically the thing well so one that kept you going but two that made you able to turn it all around um i i 
just embarked on, I, I, I decided immediately that I would have to make myself the go-to guy and I would have to get, I'd have to get on, I'd have to get airplay. I'd have to get out there somehow. So I contacted every trade association that would listen to me and offered to do free seminars on how the act worked. And they, they were only too happy to have that. Right. Um, I also got published in as many trade publications as I could. So we take for granted now that generating content is a way to market. And back in 2005, six, that was only just being understood. So I started to do that. Now that started to get me some traction because, um, subbies are a little ecosystem unto themselves and every building site is just a rabbit warren of word of mouth, isn't it? Yeah. So I just need to get one guy to think I half know what I'm doing and he's going to sit on a job site during lunch and tell three other guys. And that's exactly what happened. Beauty. So that's how I started just, just to pay my bills. And my first son was only just born. And it was very, very precarious, I have to say, for four years until 2010 when it reached a tipping point and self-perpetuated. But it was, those were hard, hard years, I have to say. I think any business at the start, you know, unless you're, so unless you're fairly lucky, obviously there's a bit of, uh, or there's a lot of hard work that comes into luck. But I think any small business starting off, you do, um, it's hard to hit the ground running unless you, you know, you need to, make sure you've got all the business coaching and all that sort of things on board. And well, the, I, well, someone expressed it very well to me. I think I can't remember. I read it somewhere, but there's this idea that um, a business, you need to be able to, you need enough runway to get airborne. Meaning you've got to be able to charge down the runway long enough until you take off and businesses sometimes cannot sustain running down the runway. And if I hadn't got out that way really early, I wouldn't have had any clients. I would have just banged along the bottom. And um, uh, I did understand very quickly that um, there's very strong word of mouth in that, in that group, my clients. And number two, if they like you and you do a good job, they'll come back to you. And number three, don't dismiss the guy who comes to you owed four or $5,000 because he'll know someone who's owed $400,000 and he'll come back to you in a year owed 150,000. So plus it was part of my philosophy that everyone should have a chance to get paid for their work. So I tried to make my fees and my setup as reasonable possible that even with smaller amounts, you can put your hand up and, and have access to the process if you want us to do it. Well, I think that's, you know, it's obviously, it's a no-brainer. If you are owed a lot of money, you need to get someone like yourself in to help with one to make sure you get paid. Because at the end of the day, there's always going to be someone that wants to take advantage of it and that wants to rip you off. And it's it's just a harsh fact of doing business. It's unfortunately, it's there's a lot of people out there. And it's probably in this current situation, you might be able, I don't know how the whole lockdown and, you know, whole coronavirus, COVID things treated you, but it's probably, uh, probably going to be more prevalent at the moment. Um, well, it's interesting. Uh, I didn't know what would happen. So I have to say, it's been an absolute blessing for me in a very bizarre way. So if you look at all the bullets that my business has dodged, I've gotten the best of every world possible. Number one, construction never shut down. Yeah. It never stopped. It never shut down. Number one. Number two, 
Um, the way that I work, um, listeners won't be able to see, but you can see it's a pretty big office. Yep. I have one assistant, 70 square meters, plenty of space. We didn't have to work from home. We didn't have to close. Work just went on as normal, number two. And number three, the level of anxiety that was generated in the media and generally out in society was such that anyone owed anything had now refused to wait. So the average period that subbies or contractors are going to wait before they ring someone like me is four to eight months and longer. Well, now they're all coming up now, 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 now. So to get paid, yeah. we've had incredible uh, business the last two or three months have just been unbelievable which is why I look so sprightly and fresh as a daisy there for you, Daniel, rather than a haggard version of myself. Not, well, exactly. You don't have to worry about the stress, yeah. but it's nice to know that a business isn't actually, you know, really struggling right now. Cause obviously there's plenty that have. And well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure like I really, I've dodged all those bullets. I'm very grateful. And it kind of made me want to double the efforts for the people I was helping during this time. And we have in the last few months recovered. It's crazy. I would say definitely, over two and a half million dollars in the last 90 days. Awesome. Uh, so those guys got their money yeah. in, a, in a very uncertain time and with some of them a very short forward order book. So um, that was pretty rewarding to have done that. Well, that was going to be one of my, uh, what does me one of my next questions, like, you know, some of the best wins that you've had. And that's pretty huge right there. Just the fact, you know, because you don't know, obviously you don't want to go down the negative side, but who knows what would have happened if those if those blokes hadn't have been paid, if they can't meet the bills and, you know, they, you don't want to think the amount of people that have gone down a sad path with your mental health and all that sort of stuff in a time like this, it's, you know, it saved them from something like that. And Yeah. Well, they don't, uh, they don't always tell me, well, they don't tell me they're the entire state of their circumstances, but they certainly communicating if they're even able to, because remember these guys need cash to even fund the next job. So if they're owed too much money, they're stuck in the road. They can't move, can't go forward, can't go backwards. Yeah. And, you know, when you've got a mortgage and a family to support, um, you know, the stakes are very high and the stakes are always very high in the matters we run. Uh, so there's quite a lot of pressure. Uh, I think we have over the years had some really satisfying wins. And um, uh, I can tell you three of them. Um, the first one was actually within the first year of my business um, through word of mouth. I came into <clears throat> a company that actually had a $45 million contract on a state government job and had been withheld 3.3 uh, million and they were just dying. They had trucks and bills and so they required so much cash just to run, you know, and the other company knew they owed them the money, but by hoi polloi and sleight of hand, we're not paying them. So the great thing about the process that I run is there's nowhere to hide. You've got to, you've got to put your arguments in paper and you've got to run your arguments. You can't dodge it. Okay. So they couldn't know their arguments were just rubbish and I and eviscerated their arguments and they lost and there was a decision to pay them 3.3 million. And at that time, I didn't really know how to price my work. I didn't really... I could was still playing around with fees and what would people be prepared to pay for what I did. So at that time, back then I just said, guys, I decided the money was big enough. So the, the money was big enough to sell a house. Yeah. So I said, well, a real estate agent would take 3%. So I said, fellas, I'll take 3%. Yep. And they said, fair enough. 
And well, I they got, got paid. They're not going to argue, are they? They, they got $3.3 million. So you yeah, did the wow. math. Exactly. A hundred grand. Now that sounds fantastic. But the week before I had 600 bucks left in the bank and I had my little baby boy sitting on my lap. I'd had just, I'd, I just bought a new house because we had to move out of the apartment. So everything was staring me down. And uh, we had just that day, that morning of the decision or of the payment, we decided just to go down to Berry in a little a, a rental for a few days just to get away because I was feeling so miserable about my business. Just couldn't make it work. Although I'd had this big win, they still have to pay. And we'd arranged to go to Berry, and my wife said, oh, there's a shop there. I'll got shoes that I always like to buy. And I said, we just can't afford it. Just forget it. We shouldn't even be going away. And uh, literally we're packing up. I'm about to walk out the door with the bag and my phone rings. And it's the accounts lady at my client's business saying, uh, Anthony, just letting you know, the money came through last night and we'll be paying your, uh, we'll be paying your fee uh, this morning. Beautiful. And straight to the detour to the shoe stop. Uh, I said, honey, uh, just about that shoe <laughs> stop. Yeah. Very rewarding. So that was one big win. That's and awesome. Th th there was another one, actually. Uh, there were another two. I don't know if you've got time, but one of they're worth telling. The other one was a typical situation of a subby getting in over his head again on a state government contract with a head contractor above him. And um, he was a very simple Simon kind of a guy, and they saw him coming, and he just got absolutely abused just abused and uh, I would say brutalized and bullied to the point that he was sobbing on the phone to me. Just to give you an idea, he'd actually completed $1.3 million worth of work and had been paid 95,000. Good. He was at the end, the ATO was um, in the final stages of um, prosecuting him because he couldn't pay his taxes. Um, number of proceedings. Paid. And what's the, it had a this project had a very brutal site manager who kept saying to the guy, "I'm going to take liquidated damages. You keep going. I'm not signing any of your variations." Now, liquidated damages for the uninitiated mean for every day or week that you're late in finishing your work, they dock certain money off your contract total. That makes sense. A lot of money. So they kept saying, LDs, LDs, liquidated damages. We're going to take it all off you. Keep going. And the guy would say, I need permission to use bigger machines because this rock is too hard. I can't break it. I don't care what you need. Get lost. So this site manager was sitting in his little hoochie all day with a coffee and the paper doing nothing and just shouting this guy down. Anyway, so I got the application put in and everything. And the other side were show shock. They argued as best they could, but they lost the whole lot. It's 1.3 million wow. that they lost. And then the guy, his, this guy brutalizing him is now on the phone begging him for mercy. Please don't file judgment against him. Please don't file judgment. And my client rang me and said, I'm literally in the registry at the Supreme Court, at the district court, no, Supreme Court, to file judgment. The guy's begging me not to file judgment. What should I do? <laughs> I said, file judgment and tell him to go fry. He's a better man than me if he didn't file judgment because if he's been copping that treatment. No, well, he did it and there was a lot of back and forth. And at the end of the day, uh, two things in the decision, uh, <laughs> just shows you how stupid these people are. In the decision, the contract actually doesn't allow for liquidated damages at all. It says, <laughs> does this contract provide for liquidated damages? The answer was no. So even they didn't know what their own contract said. So all those threats meant nothing. Wow.
And if, you know, for a young bloke, you know, for a bloke who doesn't understand all that, he's not going to know yeah. that, is he? He's just going to be intimidated by someone standing over him. No, but they settled. Um, we settled because they were going to run all sorts of shenanigans for a million dollars, which they paid him. And he got his money, Daniel, three days before the ATO were going to put his house up for sale. Wow. You've cut it fine a couple of times with that. It's just amazing how the way it all works out. So very rewarding again. So save Definitely. the family house. So, um, yeah, oh, I don't want to go into another one. You, you get an idea. So these, oh, these yeah, are, I think that's these... pretty awesome. Those stories, you know, you're saving people's livelihoods and, mm. you know, and uh, in the mental health stress and just everything in general, I think. So is there, is there a, um, I guess one more question on the business side of things. Is there uh, like a limit or where it's not worth the while to pursue? Or like, I know you said yeah. earlier, $5,000. and Yeah, look, uh, generally, ones. generally under five grand, I'd say to people, it's not worth it because uh, between our fee and an adjudicator's fee, just to get to the point where you get a decision, it's going to cost you about nearly two and a half grand. Yeah. So now some people go, I don't care. Not many will say that it's not worth it. And, and I hesitate to, to do that. So um, I usually will get them to go through a normal mercantile agent that'll do a no recovery, no fee. So sure. if they get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. And the answer to those smaller ones is really the processes and procedures you have in place going into the arrangement rather than chasing it at the back end. Very hard to chase those smaller ones. Sure. And, and obviously, if I can have a lighthearted uh, thing, you don't have to do the old godfather horse in the head trick, the horse in the bed trick. I no, 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 no. <laughs> Make yeah. them an offer they can't refuse. Well, uh, for the benefit of your listeners, um, you know, when people say, what do you do? And I say debt, debt recovery in the construction industry, they kind of <laughs> look at me and laugh because, you know, I, I don't look like uh, Jason Statham. <laughs> well, that's the, uh, the old stereotype, I guess, that people have, the Tony Soprano come knocking on your door. <laughs> that's right. I tell you what, I've recovered money from some Soprano types. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's. I guess that's a story for another day, but it's probably better left unsaid. Yeah, yeah. You just, you just, you just, just. I'm just the nice. I'm just a simple man with many friends, as they say. <laughs> well, let's go back to the parenting side of things. Obviously, with a couple of kids, and you know, you've got a bit of experience under your belt. And I like to always ask someone what their advice would be, uh, um, you know, as a dad to someone else. And obviously, you're not telling another dad how to do his job, mm-hmm. but just a different perspective sometimes can help and give people a different insight and to an approach that they might, uh, may not be doing or that might be worth them looking in for kids their age, like the same age, what would you suggest? Uh, yeah, a few things. First of all, don't take your work home. Yeah, nice. So I don't take it home. So I don't, I cannot access my work email on my phone. I don't have Outlook on my phone. I don't look at it. When I leave the office, I leave it behind, which is not easy, but I have consciously at the top of my mind, if you think all the technology around us encourages us to live in this eternal cesspool of emails, Instagram, being connected all the time, being plugged in all the time. And I think the advice is to consciously resist it. There has to be family time. There has to be work time. Um, If you work from home, you have a place where your work is, close the door and then you have to let it go. And even if you get phone calls, I do not give my clients my mobile number. They get the office line or the email address and that's it so I can control access to myself. Some guys out there will go, that's not going to work for my business. Fair enough. You can decide to take the call or not. But constantly blending family and work time, I think, is 
are very difficult because when you're stressed with a work issue, you're going to take it out on your kids if they're carrying on or doing something, you'll snap well, at them or something. Yeah, else. the shorter fuse, and yeah, we've all can, been there. Yeah, the fuse yeah, is always correct. a bit shorter when you have uh, other things, things laying on your mind. Uh, correct. So I would say um, split those up and number two, consciously make time, make time for them and go away on short trips Nice. to, to do it. So again, that's uh, the same theme to create some separation. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a great point that we can all take out. And it's obviously hard in a small business when, especially if you are just running the show by yourself when it is you, but there is a, there's definitely a line at the end of the day comes down to you. And I think, if you set the rules up front, I think your clients respect that too, because they're, you know, especially, so I think most people are reasonable. Not everyone is you know, someone you're running around chasing money after. I think most people are reasonable and understanding that you yeah. need your time as well. Well, look, um, if I can add, um, if you are accessible easily all the time and on your mobile all the time and will always answer it, the impression you create is not that great. You create the pre impression of a very small business and you create the impression that you uh, there's this idea of scarcity that people in marketing would know that something's more desirable if it's scarce. Yep. And if you are always a phone call away, you're not creating desirability about what you do or who you are. Okay. So I say to clients all the time, ring the office phone, either someone will answer or you can leave a message and I'll call you back. And I don't answer the mobile phone at crazy hours or on the weekend, if it's a work call, I don't do it, but I don't lose any clients. If anything, they're more eager than ever. Yeah. To well, talk people to want me. what they can't have. A hundred percent. So it just creates the impression of a bigger business. If you are not that available. Nice. That's a great little way to do it. And yeah, it is a good old marketing. Now it's scarcity. Anyone that's done any bit of marketing training back in the day, it's, you know, it's scarcity 101, takeaway selling and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, without being a scumbag, but like there's still obviously integrity and all that behind it, but it's still respecting people need to respect your time as, as a dad and as a business owner as well. I think, Well, I mean, mate, that, that's, that's the term business hours. That doesn't mean 24 seven. No. And it's hard. It has been a, I know for a lot of people at the moment when they are working from home and so forth, where the lines are a bit blurred, I guess. Uh, like you said, it's a good little tip to just, you know, even if you've got to set up at the kitchen table, just put down the screen like whenever you shut the laptop, that's done for the day. And uh, yeah, I think that's a nice little tip we can all take on board. Yeah. So there's a question that I like to ask, um, you know, in wrapping up that it's something that's a little bit out of the left field for some people. Um, it could be any stage of your life, but what would you do if you could go back in time and tell your younger self? It might be when you've got that 600 bucks in the bank and you know, maybe it's about being patient or maybe you know, there's something that you could say. What would you go back and say? I would say that, that, that you, you can learn anything. The most important thing in your life is to maintain your ability to learn. Nice. Because in our age from our generation in particular, so Generation X, right? When we were growing up and forming ideas about what we were going to do, it was totally structured. At school, you had to decide what you're going to do already with your life. Go to uni, you did these courses, you're a lawyer, you go here. All that's defragmented now, all that's gone to hell. It's totally deconstructed and people are moving between careers that you would never have considered I mean, look at me, what arts graduate, I hung around, I did, was in the theatre groups, everything, what, debt recovery? Yeah. Um, and I think that's common for a lot of people. They end up in areas that they would never have expected. So I would, be, I would say to my younger self, 
you can learn anything that you want to and you can be anything you want and you can learn what you need to learn in order to be what you want to be at any time and you'll have multiple careers so go with it nice very nice it's a nice little bit and it's obviously if you think back like you were mentioning earlier back when you did start in 2004 and 2005 around that sort of era there's nothing like there is available now there was no social media and no. stuff for you to get out and promote yourself you know we could never imagine like there was email and stuff but you know well, that I, wasn't I, I have to tell you a story so i with marketing i give anything a go i try test try test so i this is how it's not that long ago, you know, 15 years, but I did the whole blast on the fax machine. Remember the yeah. fax machine? Yeah, I've done Daniel? one of those too. It was a bit the, dodgy. But do you remember the once? fax machine? Yeah. yeah. So I thought, you know, these guys are dying. They're owed money. I'm going to do a blast fax. So I got a company with thing and they sent it out, a one-page fax to 3,000 um, companies or something. I got that many hate messages on my <laughs> phone and one guy got me on the phone and he said, if you ever do that to me again, I'm going to tie the fax. I'm going to send you a fax on an endless piece of paper stuck together with sticky tape. So it just uses all your ink and uses all your paper. Now, all these people really have is one A4 page that's come off their fax machine. Yeah. Toss it in the bin. Yeah. But, but that's how different it was back then. Um, uh, people weren't used to that kind of marketing and uh, blowback was huge. Now I remember, I think I did that once too. And uh, I went against every little bit of marketing advice that I'd ever learned about, you know, about solving problems, you know, and, uh, you know, every little bit of marketing you did, I don't even know why I did it. And I, so I do remember getting one. Uh, so I didn't get that exact advice back, but I do remember getting something back along those lines too. Yeah, so, funny, isn't it? But yeah, it's the way the world goes. And obviously we're, we wouldn't be where we are now if it wasn't for those lessons that we've learned along the way. And, but I think it's been a really great insight that you've shared with us. And hopefully like, if there is someone listening and they are, and they are owed a bit of coin, like where can they go to find you, Anthony? Um, yeah. Well, firstly, you Google my name, you'll, I'm everywhere, but um, uh, contractorsdebtrecovery.com.au is, uh, is the business website. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well, just under my name, Anthony Igra, I-G-R-A. Um, so you can find us uh, there. There's a lot of resources uh, on our website, a lot of videos that I've prepared, a lot of articles I've written. Most, uh, all of them have been published somewhere at one point or another, uh, which is mostly obviously construction focused, but the principles can be applied uh, all over the place. So is there other industries that you can help or it's mainly if there's a construction? Uh, really only construction work sure. and related goods and services. So yeah, you know, architects, engineers, those those yeah. disciplines that go into it. So that's that's because the legislation we use is restricted to just construction work and, and related goods and services, nothing else. Well, it's better to be a master of a trade than a jack of uh, you know, jack of all trades. Jack of all trades, that's right. So, well, mate, thank you for your time. I'll put those links in the show notes. And like I said, if anyone does need any help about getting paid, especially at this time, the last thing you want to do is struggle to put food on the table for your family because that's why we're all in business at the end of the day is to make a better life for ourselves and our family. Please give Anthony a call and uh, Anthony, thank you for your time. And you're lovely to talk to you. Thanks very much. Like we said, in the chat if it's over five thousand dollars and above definitely get what you're owed give anthony a call he'll help you out 
and he's a decent bloke and I'm sure it'll be the best decision that you make to help you sleep that little bit easier at night time. Now, finally, before we do wrap up for another week, please share these episodes. If you hear something that really resonates with you, whether it's Anthony's story today or one of the dads in our back catalogue, please share it on your socials, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you're on. Share it. And if you're on there, tag me as well. I'd love to connect with you and hear what other dads that are business owners just like you are doing too. And if you do want to be featured and want to share the story about you, about your family, and of course about your business, please drop me a line, daniel at dpmtransformation.com. Tell me a bit about all of the above and I'd love to have a chat, organize a time to hear your story. And also too, I appreciate any ratings and reviews that you can leave for us. Give us a